Twilight, the power and the conviction of belief that's of faith and truth. God gave us minds so that we wouldn't be gullible. God gave us minds so that we wouldn't necessarily believe everything that comes across the internet or television, the newspaper, politicians, pundits. God gave us minds so that we could think things through. And so when we as followers of Jesus Christ make a confession that I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the three in one, we're not making this blind leap of faith. We're making a statement and a confession of faith and belief that's very informed and that's rock solid. Harold Berman tells a story. He was driving through Pennsylvania Amish country and his little boy said, Daddy, why do all the Amish people ride in horses and buggies? He said, well, son, they don't believe in cars. So this little boy sits there with a strange look on his face and he says, they can't see them? And I think sometimes we all have that problem. You know, if I can't see it, I can't believe it. There's a lot of things that you and I can't see that we believe in. And our faith is an informed faith. Didn't these guys do a great job this morning just helping us get a, a glimpse and an idea of what the disciples must have been going through? I mean, their faith and their belief was challenged. I did a message three weeks ago, and I said, this is a, not an Easter message, but it was preparing for the message we looked at. Our God is still a God of miracles. Last week, we just had such a powerful service here. So, you know, nobody's going to lay hands on you. Nobody's going to come along and touch you, shake you, blow on you, or anything like that. And this altar was filled from wall to wall and back up in the aisles. And all week long, I've been hearing from people saying, Pastor, this is what God has done. I've been to the doctor. This is what God has done. I've, this has happened with my finances. Our God is a God of miracles. And you never, ever should doubt that. But they wrestled with unbelief. And Jesus said to Thomas, after Thomas had seen, he said, Thomas, you've seen and you believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And there's not a one of us here. We've seen God. We've seen Jesus. I hear from people sometime and I don't question they've had a vision of Christ. I've never had that vision, but I will tell you this, I believe this morning. I once was crippled and now I can walk, now I can run. Don't try to tell me our God is not a God of miracles. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power that dwells in us today. And I'm not talking about a, a smug self-righteousness or pious pontification or anything like that, but just an informed faith. This week I had the privilege of being downtown and having a moment to speak and to pray at the Wayne County Commissioner's meeting. When they introduced me, 
I didn't even know the man introducing me. But he was selling them all kinds of stuff about me that was true. I was like, dude, I'm getting rid of Facebook. And uh, I still have said, it's a little scary. Somebody you don't even know telling all these things about you. They're all true. By the way, they bought it up. I didn't. And it was so much fun standing up there and they told how much I loved Georgia football. It's right there in that council meeting. Place was packed. I said, how about them dogs? And everybody went to laughing and we had a time of prayer together. I've gotten several emails this week from folks who have, that were in the audience that day who had business with the council. There's a hunger in our world. There's a hunger. And you that know Christ, you are God's messengers. Do you know the word angel means messenger? So I can look at you this morning and say, you are angels. Sometimes you don't act like it, but you are angels. Sometimes I don't act like it, but that's what the word angel means. It's a messenger. And God will use you to help people come to faith. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray with you this morning. And then we want to deal with this passage that Pastor Corey read with to us this morning. And we want to believe. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. What a weekend this has been. <laughs> this place was covered with kids yesterday. And those that are in here have no clue, <laughs> Lord, what this looked like yesterday when the kids were done. But we thank you. The scripture says, where there's no cattle in the stall, the stall is clean. Lord, I thank you for 77 volunteers who came in and just cleaned this place up and served children yesterday and made ready for today. Father, I thank you today as well for what happened here on Good Friday night. Lord, that sense of your presence that you just could feel. And Lord, you know I'm not into feelings, but wow, Friday night was so special. And then today, Lord, after last night's prayer service, Lord, to hear the songs of faith about the resurrection, the skit, I am so thankful that Jesus lives. And I'm so thankful that, Lord, that I know that he lives. That I talked with you this morning. That you live in my heart. And I pray that, especially for those who are going through a difficult time, you will strengthen, you will reinforce and renew their faith. I pray for those, Lord, who maybe haven't come to faith yet in you. God, I pray that today that they will sense your Holy Spirit tugging at their heart. This is not about religion. This is about a relationship with you. And God, visit with them in a special way, I pray. And help them to make a decision for you. For it's in Jesus' name I ask. And everybody agreed and said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Brendan Manning, in his book, Ruthless Trust, that I would recommend to any of you who like to read, Brendan Manning tells about a man by the name of Justin who went to Calcutta. And he went to spend three months working in the home of the dying that Mother Teresa worked at. 
and had. And I've been to that home of dying and bathed people and prayed with people there. So when I read the story, it was so vivid to me. But when Justin went, he went, as he says, seeking clarity for his life, seeking direction for his life. And he went up to Mother Teresa one day and he asked her to pray for him. And she said, well, what would you like me to pray for you about? He says, I'd like you to pray that God would give me clarity in my life. And she looked at him and she says, I'm not going to pray for you to have clarity. That's the last thing that you need is clarity. Justin said to Brendan, he says, I, I looked at her and I said, Mother Teresa, every time I look at you, you just seem to have so much clarity about the purpose of your life and what you're supposed to be doing. And she chuckled and says, Justin, I have never had clarity about anything in life. What I have had is trust and faith in God. And if you're going to do something for God, you can't wait for clarity. Sometimes you just have to trust God and believe that he is exactly who he says he is. And somebody like that little Albanian woman who went and had such a profound impact upon India and whom that Mark Buntain, one of my heroes, and that I was there teaching in his schools and teaching and working and praying with students there, that they partnered together to see so many people come to Christ. So many people healed. So many people that, as I've talked to my Indian friends and Bengali friends in our community, to talk about what they did, Mother Teresa and Mark Buntain, I've thought often about my experience there, my experience both at the Buntain Church, the Buntain Hospital, at Mother Teresa's Home for the Dying, and also the Home for the Lepers where I worked at. I've often thought about that. There's something that I've come to the conclusion of on this Easter Sunday morning. It's this, that believers are a blessing to the world. Believers are the people who build hospitals. Believers are the people who build orphanages. Believers are the people who go and serve. There's never been a monument that I'm aware of that's been erected to the cynic, that's been erected to the critic, that's been erected to the doubter. Most of our hospitals that we know about in our organizations and orphanages came about as a result of people with faith in God who believed that God had saved them to do something. Believers become builders. My second son, Christopher, worked with an organization as he did his internship for two years with a missions organization called Builders International. You see, believers become builders, and as Chris worked in Belize and South Africa, as he spent a year in Nepal rebuilding homes and designing a home for uh, people in those mountainous villages that had lost everything because of, of the earthquake, and a house that will shift with the earth when it shifts, and a house that has the flexibility that the roof won't collapse on it, and the, and the floor won't collapse on it. And, I often reflected to Christopher, I said, Christopher, is anything I've learned in life is that passionate followers of Jesus Christ, those that are believers, they're builders. They're not the people that tear down, but they're the people that pull the oars. They're the people that build the hospitals and the schools. You will find behind every single organization or anything that's doing good today, somebody has been a believer. Somebody has had a faith in God or faith in Christ. Would you be offended? Would you be insulted if I said to you today that most cynics are idiots? 
I forgot to look and see if Becky was in here. <laughs> but if you tell her I said that, you need to tell the whole story, so listen carefully. I remember when I was studying Greek in college, we looked at the word idiot because sometimes you just get curious about these things. The word idios, which is the Greek word, it means to look after one's own private affairs. The Greeks considered anyone that just looked after themselves and didn't care about the community, didn't care about the city, didn't care about other people around them. All they cared about was their families. They considered those people idiots. That's an interesting turn of the phrase because most of the time when we say the word idiot, we mean that somebody is stupid or foolish or anything like that. But in a strict, strictly Greek way, I'm asking you, are you an idiot? I'm asking you, are you a believer? Are you a builder? Are you one of those people that as long as everything is okay with you and your family, then it's hunky-dory and the rest of the world can go to hell in a bed, bed sheet? You see, God is no idiot. God didn't need to send his son in this world to save us from our sins. God didn't need to redeem us with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But because God is a loving God, and unlike any of the other religions in this world, God gave his only begotten son so that we might believe in him and have eternal life. But it wasn't enough to give his son. On the third day, God raised him from the dead, guaranteeing that you and I would have eternal life forevermore. <laughs> Hallelujah. I had the privilege of sitting with Dr. Martin Luther King's junior secretary a few years ago. She served him as a secretary of the pastor when he pastored Ebenezer Baptist Church. And she took me into Martin's office and we, I shouldn't say that, Dr. Luther, Dr. King's office. And then we sat out in the foyer and we spent a whole afternoon. And I asked her what she felt like was some of the secrets and why he wasn't bitter and how he served. And I have so many notes from that day that she allowed me to take, but listen to what Dr. King said. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your noun and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. When evil men plot, good men plan. When evil men bomb and burn, good men must build and bind. When evil men shout words of hatred, good men must commit themselves to the glory of love. And that's why we sing songs like, God is so good. It's because God takes the hearts of men in their idiocy when all we want to care about and he transforms us into people who care about and love others. I love this passage that Pastor Corey read to us this morning. Because for me, when I look at this passage and I see the linen wrappings laying there and the, the headpiece laying there, and I realize that the story started with swaddling clothes and the story ends with swaddling clothes inside a tomb. I'm telling you that what you are in seed form, God will complete in its full fruition in your life. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Max Lucado, in the way that only Max can write, in his book, Gentle Thunder, said for all of its peculiarities and unevenness, the Bible has a simple story. God made man, man rejected God. God won't give up until he wins him back. God will whisper, God will shout, God will touch and hug. He will take away our burdens, he will even take away our blessings. If there are a thousand steps between us and him, he will take all but one, but he will leave the final one for us. The choice is ours. 
Please understand, God's goal is not to make you happy. God's goal is to make you His. His goal is not to get you what you want. It's to get you what you need. And friends, more than anything, we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Sometimes I read Max's books and I think, Lord, you're not fair. <laughs> the way he can write and turn a phrase just seems to go right to the point of matter. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you and I, as passionate followers of Christ, we believe that God forgives all of our sins. Not part of them, but God forgives them. And when God forgives, he cleanses us from them. I can remember my grandmother washing clothes on a rub board out in the backyard on the farm and water would be pulled from the well. It would be heated on the wood stove and my grandmother would go out and she would bend over and she would wash those clothes until they were clean and sparkling and the water would be dirty. She'd throw it out and she'd bring more hot water out and then she would rinse those clothes until she got all the soap out of them. God cleanses our sins. In the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, God says, though our sins are like scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. There's something in all of us we know. There's something in all of us we know. There is something in all of us we know we need forgiveness of our sins. We know that. There's this guilt problem that people wrestle with. Psychologists study it. Psychologists try to remove the guilt from us. Psychologists try to help us think that we're not guilty, but there's something even in the heart of the psychologist and the psychiatrist that I used to work with. We know there's a guilt problem. We know we need our sins forgiven. Once Ernest Hemingway wrote a story about a father and a son who had a falling out in Spain. The father looked for his son when his son left and he put an ad in a newspaper in Madrid and it said simply, Dear Paco, meet me at the town square at noon on Sunday. All is forgiven. Your father. And on that Sunday afternoon, 800 young men named Paco showed up looking for forgiveness. There's something inside the hearts of all of us we know. In Acts 10, 43, the apostle is preaching and he says, he is one, he is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. He is the one all the prophets testified about. Sometimes when I have this conversation with my Jewish friends, I marvel at what's happening in the Jewish world. I, it's been a long time, but it's been a few years ago, but I search, research the population of the Jewish community, and I think this is a sign of, of the times that Christ could be coming at any time. The last time I checked worldwide, there was a population of about 12 million Jewish people, and today there are now 1 million registered registered messianic Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And the Bible predicted in the last days God would begin to open their eyes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And friends, we don't have to be pushy about that. We just have to be believers that their eyes are going to be open just like the eyes of everyone else, that Jesus is the one. Recently, my wife was in conversation with a Muslim man in our community, and he, he asked her, he said, Rebecca, what is the difference between Christians and Jews? Can you sum that, between Christians and Muslims, can you sum that up for us? And Becky, knowing that our Muslim friends, they don't understand the concept of God the Son, Jesus Christ the Son, the way that you and I do. And so she looked at them and, 
And the reason they don't understand that, I probably should add, is because they think when we say the Son of God, we're implying that God had sexual relationships with Mary, and that's not what the virgin birth is all about, whatever. And so Becky looked at him, and she says, in the Quran, don't you teach that Jesus is a prophet? He goes, oh, yes, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a prophet. And she says, whereas you believe that Jesus is a prophet, we believe, the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the prophet. Not Muhammad, not anyone else, but Jesus is the prophet. He is the one that all the prophets spoke about. He is the Son of God come to rescue us from our sins. And somehow or another, our Muslim friend grasped hold of that and locked onto that and says, yes, yes, now I understand. Friends, believing the gospel doesn't mean that you are gullible. God gave you a mind, but God also created you in his image that you know truth when you hear truth and you see truth. It's kind of like the Supreme Court justice one time when he was asked about pornography. He said, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. You see, there's something in all of us we know that the gospel is true. What is sin? Sin simply means uh, missing the mark of our high calling of what God created us to be. But sin is more than just the bad things that we've done, that guilt complex. Sin is more than just the bad things that we've done. Sin is missing those things that God has called us to do with our life. Jesus once illustrated it like this. He says, you didn't visit me when I was in prison. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You lived an idiot life. You lived caring only about yourself. And they said, Jesus, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? He says, whenever you didn't do it to the least of these brothers and sisters of, of mine. You see, sometimes I think we go, well, I haven't done any of those really, really bad things. But Jesus came to save us from our sins so that we could become builders, believers and builders, and not just cynics in our world. Does that make sense? That we might become people who build. The Bible says in Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone. For how many? For everyone. Jew, Greek, Gentile, red, yellow, black, or white, no matter where you're from, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You see, redemption is when God freed me from the power of my sin. Redemption is when God freed me from the power of sin in this life. Uh, you remember, some of you do, some of you are too young to remember, but do you remember the old Flip Wilson routine? He made a lot of money going, the devil made me do it. Remember that? Somebody said that to me just recently, and we had a good laugh. But you see, when you have been born again, when you give your life to Jesus, since power is broken over you, the devil can't make you do anything. He is a defeated foe. When Christ rose from the grave, there is a reason we don't have a crucifix in our church. I think they're beautiful. I love them. I have a couple. But the reason we don't have a crucifix is because Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death, hell, the grave, and the power of sin in this life. Redemption... Redemption means I'm free from the power of sin. Forgiveness means the slate is wiped clean. Do you remember those little things? If you're in my generation, you could write on it with a stylus. There were styluses long before 
digital phones. And then you could just lift the sheet and it all disappear and you could start all over again. God gives you a do-over in life. God gives you a fresh start in life. And you see, forgiveness means a slate is wiped clean. Secondly, the resurrection of Christ means that God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for my life. If you don't know your purpose, you just kind of drift in life. You drift from job to job. You drift chasing a paycheck. You drift chasing fantasies. Maybe you drift in relationships and you're in love and out of love, in love and out of love. The only way you learn your life's purpose is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are not an accident. You are not conceived in the moment of someone's passion only. God plans your life before the foundation of the world. And you might say, well, you know, I, I was an accident. I was born, I, I was illegitimate. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. There is only illegitimate parents. You understand that? No such thing as an illegitimate child. God planned your life. God wanted you. God loves you. God has purpose for you. And you'll never be humming along in life until you are doing what you know God intended for you to do. Look at Colossians 1.16. Everything, that's creation in you and I as well. Everything got started in him, Jesus. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. You see, the reason so many people have an identity problem is because they're looking for their job to give them identity. They're looking maybe for their hobby. They're looking for their kids. Maybe you were not the sports figure that you'd hoped you would be, and now you're pushing your child to be that sports figure, and you're trying to live vicariously through your child's life. Or maybe you thought you would get your identity from your, your wife or from your husband. You'll only find your identity in Christ. I was secure in who I was when I married Becky. She was secure in who she was when she married me. We're not emotional vampires on one another. We love each other. And together we have built an identity as a family in Christ Jesus. But you find your purpose in God. It is in Christ. Now look at this. Ephesians 1.11. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Now that's important. Underline that. We find out who we are and what we are living for. Isn't that two questions that everybody wants answered? Who am I? And what am I living for? What's the purpose of my life? You find that in Christ. How many of you believe the Bible? Say amen. amen. I, so I would assume a majority in here, overwhelming majority. Now this is what God says to you. This may be different than what your psychology professor said. This may be different than what you have heard on television. But it's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. God had his eye on you. Now, I've never shared this until the first service this morning, so I'm going to share something real personal with you. I have loved Becky all of her life. Loved Becky all of her life. I remember when she was a baby sitting in her mother's lap with a little curl on top of her. She had no hair except for a curl right here. I have loved her. Her family was friends with my family. But you see, I went... I love that girl. And all through high school when I dated, all through college when I dated, I was waiting on Becky Stewart to grow up. Time was on my side. <laughs> One day she showed up on our college campus with her parents. I knew her parents well. They were friends of our family. 
And when Becky stepped out from behind her family, I went, oh, hey, bubble, there's a picnic basket right there. I had designs on her for a long time. I mean, oh, my heart began to be like, remember Thumper from Bambi? I was Twitter painted and everything else. She had grown up. Thank God little girls become women. Amen? You could say amen right there, guys. This is no me too is going to get you in trouble right there. She grew up. I asked her to be my wife a little over a year later, and we've had a wonderful life together. God has had you on his mind since the beginning of time. Time is on your side. Time is not your enemy when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Gray hair is not your enemy when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Wrinkles are not your enemy when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. A paunch is not your enemy when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Time is on our side because God exists outside of time. And when I breathe my last breath, I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ forevermore. And that's sounding better all the time. <laughs> Hallelujah. The third thing is, I believe God empowers me for everything in life. I believe God, you believe. The Bible teaches us. I talk and counsel and pray with a lot of people, not only in our church, but outside of our church. And I so often hear people complaining about how tired they are and how weary they are and how fatigued they are. And I understand that. And so often I'll ask them about their life with Christ. And I can promise them and say, listen, if you give your heart to Jesus, you're going to plug into the power source of life. If you give your heart to Christ, you're going to find new energy. You're going to find new strength. And they go, really? I go, really? I mean, God makes that promise to you in his word. Now, you've got to believe in Christ. And, you know, you want to give your heart to Jesus. But you see, you belong to him just by right of creatorship. And sometimes I talk to Christians and they say, well, I'm tired. And are you taking your day off? Are you give, taking what God gave you as a Sabbath day of rest? It's a well-established fact now that if you work more than 50 hours a week, your work suffers. It's worse for you to work more than 50 hours a week than it is to work just 40 hours a week. That's a well-established fact now. It's, as a matter of fact, it's causing, that research has caused quite a stir in industry right now because it's contributing to accidents and mechanical failures and medical decisions that are made poorly as people try to balance budgets on the top of making people work more hours so they can avoid more employees. But you see, God, for the Christian, he renews us from day to day. When we go to him in prayer, when we lift our hands to him in prayer, most of you I've lived with for 20 years now We've done life together, and I would, you know what I'm telling you is true. God takes the weary and the trodden. Look at, listen to Isaiah 40 and verse 29. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Read it with me. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. You want to know the worst car I've ever owned in my life? I bought a brand new Volkswagen diesel rabbit. Worst car I've ever owned in my life. It should have been called the diesel turtle. I got more one-finger waves, not this kind. And I was thinking, I'm pedaling as fast as I can. You couldn't take off from a traffic light. Becky and I went to the mountains in. I had to drop all the way to second gear in a brand new diesel turtle to get up the mountain. 
I looked at Becky and I said, I can't wait to find somebody who loves gas mileage more than I love gas mileage. And unload this car and sell this car. It was powerless. I like to get in a car and feel it tap me in the back and say, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> One day, Pastor Rick and I are getting on the interstate and the interstate was moving fast and I punched my Mustang. Boom, that front end popped up and we were off to the races and he looked over at me and says, you like that, don't you? I said, I love that, Pastor Rick. <laughs> Not too long ago, I was in Ohio. I want to tell you, Ohio State Police are very nice. <laughs> very nice. There was nobody out there but me, I thought. So I thought, let's just see. Out of nowhere, like the rapture in the twinkling of an eye, he is on me. Now let me tell you why I say Ohio State Police are the nicest people you'll ever meet. I got out, I was laughing. He said, you having fun? I go, yes, sir, but I know I sinned greatly and I sinned boldly and I am so sorry. Go ahead and write me a ticket. He started laughing. He says, can you slow down? I said, oh, yes, sir. If you don't give me a ticket, I can really slow down. <laughs> and then I told him what y'all told me when I moved up here, that if you have Michigan license plates, they're going to pull you anyway in Ohio. <laughs> That's just not true. You like that, don't you, Carrie? <laughs> You see, God gives you the power to change. God gives you the power to say no. Sometimes it feels good to say no. You look at that dessert and oh, it looks so good. And then you think, I'm going to be wearing that on my hips if I eat it. But it looks so good. And you say no. Sometimes you see something, you, you want it so bad and you're just thinking, I can get this on 36 easy payments. <laughs> And you walk out of the store, God gives you the power to say no to debt. And you walk out of the store, you go, oh, it feels so good not to be in debt. Sometimes maybe you're traveling and you're out of town. And you think nobody will know and you're tempted. And it's the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, that's not who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're, you're my angel. You're my messenger. And you go, no. And you wake up in your bed the next morning. You go, I'm so glad, God, you helped me to say no. And then sometimes God gives you the power to say yes, to take time to help your neighbor, to take time to plow their driveway, to take time to mow their lawn, to take time to take a meal to them, to help an office worker, to help a friend. You say yes to something when the idiot says, no, it's my work. It's only what I've got to do. Look at this, Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So folks, listen. Circle that phrase, incredible greatness. God is using the same power that he raised Christ from the dead to work in your life, to change you. This is the same mighty power. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, that if you've never read, don't go to heaven without reading this book. If we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature. Pulsating all through with such energy, joy, and wisdom, and love, as we cannot now imagine. Now just do a hard stop right there.
What would your life look like? Just think for a moment. What would your life look like if Jesus Christ was the boss of your life and your life began to pulsate with the love and the joy and the wisdom that only God can give? Only God can give. Not just that you're sedate, but that you pulsate. That when you walk into a room, people want to know what's different about you. That when you walk into a restaurant, people are drawn to you. And you say, Pastor, you don't know my life. It doesn't matter if I know your life. God knows your life. And I promise you, not only does God know you and love you, but this church will get to know you and get to love you because God wants to make a brand new creation out of your life. He wants to do that for you. Pulsating with such energy, joy, wisdom, and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power, delight, and goodness. The process will be long. Remember, time is on our side. Time is on our side. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that's what we're in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I, I just, to me, wow. What a poor world this would be if God hadn't have given us C.S. Lewis. And then finally this morning, and I know that gives you eternal hope just like Easter does when a preacher says finally. <laughs> Believe that God will give you eternal life. You see, Jesus' resurrection, resurrection, it proved everything. It proved it was who he claimed to be. It proves that he keeps his promises. It proves that there's more to life than death. It proves that there is eternal life for you and I. Jesus was explaining this to two sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus who had died and Jesus resuscitated him. There's a story written. I wish I could remember the author's name, but a story written about poor old Lazarus. Poor old Lazarus died and Jesus resurrected him and he came out of the glories of being in the presence of God back to this broken, sinful world we were living in and wondered why God would have punished him so for making him come back. And then poor old Lazarus, he had to die all over again. But Jesus used the resuscitation of Lazarus to illustrate something to Mary and to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me, believes in me, will never, ever die. Never, ever die. Do you believe this? If you believe this, say amen this morning. Amen. That's what Easter is all about. That's the reason Christians get so jazzed up, amped up, powered up about Easter. Because without Easter, Christmas is just a wonderful story. But with Easter, Christmas takes on a whole new meaning. William Borden, who is to inherit the Borden fortune, Borden's milk, as a young man felt called to go as a missionary to Egypt. He died at 25 years of age. If you've ever heard the story, it was in his Bible that they found these words written in the front cover of his Bible, no regrets. I preached a message here one time on that, how to live a life with no regrets. I have friends who serve as missionaries in Egypt and they went and found Borden's grave. 
It's all covered up with weeds now. It's up against a wall. His father got very angry with him for following God's call. And he went to Egypt and died and was buried there. But what I didn't realize on his tombstone was this. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And I'll tell you, apart from Christ, there's no explanation for my life or your life. We find our meaning, we find our purpose in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to just walk you through how to give your heart to Christ very quickly. You see, as I told someone this week, it's just not enough to say I believe in Christ. The devil believes in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. The word believe in the Bible means that we act. You know you believe something when you do it. If the fire alarms went off in this building and you believe them, we would have an orderly exit out of this building. But if the fire alarms went off and we knew there was an electrical problem and, you know, we probably wouldn't have a net, we'd say, please just stay seated for a second. What you believe determines what you do with your life. In Romans 10, 9, the Bible says you will be saved if you honestly say Jesus is Lord and if you believe with all your heart that God raised him from the dead. What's he saying? You don't earn salvation. You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough to be saved. Part of believing in Jesus is means that you just trust him. You relax in him. My father-in-law was a lifeguard. He worked for me in the summers when I ran camps. And I've seen him rescue people. But sometimes he would let them splash around and flop around. And then he would put his arm around them and pull them out of our Olympic-sized pool at the camp. He lifeguarded at another camp that had a huge lake and many times had to do the same thing. You see, you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. There's a certain pride in us that makes us think we can save ourselves. But we have to relax and trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Nothing, Romans 8.38 says, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It wasn't but too long ago somebody said to me here, says, I'm afraid if I give my life to Jesus, I won't be able to live it out. Listen, the only way you'll live it out is by trusting Christ and letting him come into your life. If you think you can live this out on your own, you still haven't relaxed. You're still trying to save yourself. It's not a blind leap of faith. It's an informed decision. Either you're drowning in your sins or you're not drowning in your sins. And if you don't believe you're drowning in your sins, then you don't need a Savior. If you really believe you're not drowning, if you really believe this world in its violence is not drowning in its sins, then you don't need a Savior. Everything's going to be okay. But if everything around you bears witness, if one million Jewish people crossing the line to give their heart to Jesus Christ in our generation... That ought to say something to us. God who saves you will keep you safe. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? God who saves you will keep you safe. Now, 
here's where the rubber hits the highway. You see, you were saved to serve. Remember what I said earlier? You remember, I, I was very clear about sin is not just the bad things that we've done. Sin is missing those opportunities to live like we're supposed to live. You should question. Look at me. Look, don't miss this. You should question your belief. You should question your salvation if you're living an idiot life where I'm only concerned about me and my family and what we do and what we get. Because when you are saved, you are saved to serve. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Ephesians 2.10. God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ, Jesus, He has created us for a life of good deeds, which He's already prepared for us to do. You're not saved by those deeds, but I want to be honest with you. I'm not wanting to say to you, you know, just believe. The devil believes. Trust God to forgive you of your sins, the things you've done, but trust God also to forgive you the opportunities you've missed. And that rather than living an idiot life, you will live as a passionate follower of Christ. Say that with me. Passionate follower of Christ. When I told you that I had designs on Becky and I saw her, I have been passionate about Becky for 43 years. You know that. I have been passionate. I, I just love being with her. Sometimes I pray, Lord, don't let me smother her. I love being with I love. I love being with my children. I really love being with my grandsons. I mean, last night a dad said to me after prayer service, he says, I think I love my grandsons more than I do my sons. I go, dude, I understand. <laughs> but I don't have to spank them. I don't have to diaper them. I, you know, I just love them, play with them, give them back. What could be better than that? But you were, when you were saved, you're saved to serve. One final thing I want to say about it. When you give your heart to Christ, don't expect it to be easy because there is a certain amount of suffering that comes along with following Jesus. Our world is filled with people who hate Christians. I mean literally hate Christians. This morning, I checked during the skit to see what the death total was up to. 207 people killed in Sri Lanka this morning. Many of them as they went in to worship the Lord. We have friends who've lost their lives in the preaching of the gospel. There are people who just literally hate Jesus. There are people that will work against you if you're a follower of Christ. But listen to what the Bible says in Philippians 1.29. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. Mm. Read that last part with me. The privilege of suffering for Him. One more time. The privilege of suffering for Him. Did Jesus encounter opposition? Did Jesus encounter violence? Look at that cross. That's our equivalent of an electric chair. 
you would think it was real weird if we had an electric chair hanging up. You say, those people are bizarre. But to you and I, that is beautiful because we understand why Good Friday is called Good Friday. And I'm just being honest with you. I want you to give your heart to Christ. But I want you to anticipate that if Jesus suffered, you and I will suffer as well. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid of their threats. Friends, God is a good God. God is a loving God. God loves, desires to save every member of ISIS, every member of Al-Qaeda. What a different world this could be if such a worldwide revival like Billy Graham always dreamed of, if people gave their hearts to God. But God has a greater plan than I can understand. God has a greater dream for our lives than we can ever dream. And if I could say one final thing to you before I pray, you can trust God. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you and for me. And if we believe in him, we would not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray with you and I have a benediction I'd just like to pray over you this morning. But before I do, I just, if you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you've wandered from your faith, I'm asking you right now, do you believe and do you have the strength of belief that you're willing to act upon that belief? Is there this tugging in your heart where you're going, I want to do this, I need to do this? Is there a sense, maybe you came to the service and just being nice to somebody that invited you, but now you realize that what Christians believe is not an uninformed, gullible faith. God gave us minds. Jesus was seen by over 500 people. Many priests in Israel came to know Christ. Political leaders came to know Christ. Slaves came to know Christ. And they were willing to die for that testimony, not for the lie. So I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to cast aside your doubts? And are you willing to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, just pray this prayer. Pray it quietly. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want to have a real, deep, abiding faith in you. A real, deep, abiding faith. Not a fake faith. Not a wannabe faith. But the kind of faith that follows you in good times and bad. Thank you, Lord. You not only died for my sins, but you broke the power of sin. You redeemed me from sin. You, Lord, wipe my slate clean as I give my heart to you this morning.
But thank you, Jesus, for also being an example for me. I can see how to live the more I understand your life. I need forgiveness for the things I've done and the things I've left undone. I need mercy. I need power this morning, Lord. The power that you give. And finally, Father, I want to use my whole life from this day forward, not as an idiot, but as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For it's in your Son's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Now would you stand with me before Pastor Corey comes? I ask you to bless these, your people, especially those who have given their hearts and lives to you this morning. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to make them aware of your presence, wherever they go, whatever they do. Make them aware of your purpose and your plan for their life, that they are not an accident. Father, give them an understanding that you have invested power within them to say yes to the good and no to that that would hurt them. And Father, I pray that they will have the satisfaction of a life well lived for the glory of God. And then when that day comes and we breathe our last, Jesus, we won't be like poor old Lazarus enter right in into the presence of Jesus Christ where we will enjoy the glories of heaven forevermore for it's in your name I pray and I bless this congregation amen, amen and amen can we give the Lord one more hand of praise this morning